Alright, welcome. So today I am joined from Toronto by Carolyn McDonald. She basically makes shit happen at examine.com. For anybody that doesn't know about examine.com, it is a website that compiles nutrition and supplement information based on science. So if you're ever in doubt, examine.com compiles research and basically eliminates the amount of bullshit that we have to like sort through as enthusiasts or trainers. I'm just going to read you what the website says because honestly it says it as best that it can. Millions of people trust examine.com. Supplement companies misrepresent scientific research to sell you more supplements. Reviewers are often paid overtly or not by the same companies to pimp their products. Famous doctors and the mainstream media routinely ignore context to produce sensationalist headlines and too many gurus, even the few who are sincere, base their recommendations on feelings rather than facts. So if you are frustrated by misinformation, this is a great place to get clarity. But what really stands out about Carolyn McDonald for me is that she makes shit happen. Honestly, she's going to be someone that uh, really helps escalate people in their career. She is very genuine, very heartfelt, and so I really hope that you enjoy this episode because I think you'll learn a lot and you're going to uh, be able to get to know a lot about someone who could probably help you a lot in your own endeavors, whether they be fitness or anything, honestly. It's all about identifying that squeaky wheel. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. So, welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, episode 50 with Carolyn McDonald. How are you doing this morning? Um, groggy because you made me hop on a call before noon. <laughs> <laughs> My brain doesn't function till like 1230 so what was the drink that you're drinking like tell tell me more about it because like i can't read the label like it looks very mysterious very chinese so um i joke around that i'm like the tiger mom like the stereotype of a tiger mom and i am but in some scenarios i'm like a six-year-old little chinese girl i'm drinking a vita soy chocolate flavored soy milk because i'm lactose intolerant so i can't chug a chocolate milk but man is it hitting the spot i'm gonna Oh, wow. I'm looking at the macros now, and I, I really shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you only it's live once. Well, like... It's 160 calories. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's a good morning drink. As far as, like, like flavored drinks go, like, eat without having just, like, water or something that's very minimal, you're going to end up with that amount of calories. At least it's not, like, 800 calories or something. Exactly. And it, I think it's equivalent to like a little like box of chocolate milk from what I remember. A little carton of chocolate milk. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. There you go. So on a typical day, like choose a day when you got lots of sleep, everything's happy and normal. What would your routine be? How would you like start your day? First of all, that's not my routine. Uh, <laughs> sleep is not a thing in my world at the moment and for a long time. But uh, usually when I get up... Um, I get some work done. I try to keep myself distracted until 11, and that's when my eating window opens. <laughs> and my first meal of the day is usually like something that I have meal prepped just to make sure that I don't open Pandora's box and just eat my entire fridge. And then I work all the way th- until like 2 p.m., and I go to the gym. Um, that really helps me kind of reboot and transition my brain from like answering emails and catching up to like finally getting real shit done after the gym. And then I work sometimes until like midnight or like 2am. So you work hard, you work real hard. I mean, yeah, scaling a company takes a lot of work and takes, takes a lot of man hours. If I could get away with not sleeping, I would actually choose to not sleep for a long time. Why do you think that is? Why do I think it is Um, like that? I would choose not to sleep. Yeah, I think it's it's not because I have the drive to hustle. Um, Like I wouldn't recommend anyone do this, to be quite honest, unless it's 
it's really, really necessary. For me, it is because I'm taking care of my team, right? I'm the director of operations at Examine. So my job doesn't end at like completing a task. I have to follow up with my team members, make sure they're okay. I essentially play project manager, HR, um, marketing slash customer support, and then therapist. So my job doesn't really ever end. And when you're working with a remote team, that's spread out internationally with some people actually in the Philippines and Taiwan. Sometimes you have to stay up super late in order to overlap with people. And uh, I enjoy talking to my team members. So choosing to stay up until like midnight or 2 a.m. is it's hard on my body sometimes, but long term, it actually really does help me get shit done. It helps me build a positive team culture. Totally. Well, you've like had a lot of success in that realm. I want you to describe your very first day there at Examine. My very first day, oh, this is, okay. So when I joined examine.com, very little people know this. uh, I was still working in the PR industry. So Saul actually had me uh, work as a contractor at first, um, part-time, helping him uh, get this media train Spencer Nadalski. And a lot of people don't know this. I don't even know if Spencer remembers this. I remember hopping on Skype calls with him with his cat in the background when he was still living in Virginia. And like halfway through the call, as well as at the end of the call, I would always go, whatever you do, Spencer, keep your shirt on. (laughs) And that was the first month of me working at Examine was doing PR work and hopping on a few calls with Spencer Nadelsky, who who blew up. And I'm not surprised, by the way. He's so charismatic and so freaking smart. Absolutely. Like what what's it like to see a person like escalate their career like that? What was it like for you to be able to know him from when you had to tell him to put a shirt on to now when like <laughs> everybody knows who he is? Um it's very it adds context. Um and by that I mean being able or get, being given the privilege to meet someone and know them without without their titles and without their online brand attached to them, especially that early on is very, very nice because you kind of get a sense of what their motivation is, right? You get a sense of what their personality is like, and then you can, you can also see as they grow what type of person they really are based on how big their ego gets <laughs> and whether their personality changes. Uh, with Spencer in this case, it was amazing to see him grow from like a brief director of examine.com doctor who couldn't keep his shirt on, um, which by the way, he still can't keep his shirt on most of the time um, (laughs) to what he is today because he really didn't change personality wise. He remained pretty much the same, very down to earth guy from what I can tell. And like, he deserves the success that he's gotten. He's uh, similar to Brett from Glute Lab, right? These two guys have achieved this like phenomenal, phenomenal. My pronunciation is shitty ESL, by the way, uh, <laughs> um, level of success. And you can tell why it's because they stay so genuine to their brand from like start to like to scale. And their followers love them because of that. And I love them because of that. Totally. What do you think contributes to a person staying genuine? Because that's like, that's a quality that I really like. Like, I look for that in people and it's just hard to hard to really understand like what what contributes to it what do you think um i have my theory so i'm i don't know much about psychology or at least not formally like dr lisa lewis whom uh by the way gem of the fitness industry uh (laughs) i think for me i think it's it's when someone doesn't lack awareness they are more likely to remain genuine um, when they sound, this sounds bad, but when they have like a little bit of doubt, a little bit of an imposter syndrome, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, it helps them stay very level-headed and it helps them uh, constantly check themselves. Um, And the other thing is continuing to surround themselves with not just their followers, but people who were there from the beginning help them stay grounded because 
the friends that you have in the beginning who genuinely love you and care for you are also the friends who will tell you if you're kind of getting a little bit too egotistical or forgetting your end goal or really shifting away from who you really are in terms of core values. That makes sense. I like that. Like keeping good quality people around. And my stance or perspective is like sort of seeing people that want to see the best in you and the best in you doesn't necessarily mean being like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like just cheering every time you do something. Cause yeah. if you did something wrong, they're gone. Like those, the, the followers, like the, the people that show up when yes, there's man. fame, they're gone. But, um, I want to go into a time machine and go back like 20 years and what was happening in your life 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, this sounds this sounds like a fun trip because 20 years ago I was eight. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what I was aiming for. Uh, eight-year-old Carolyn was uh, struggling to speak English. I was in ESL uh, primarily because my mother wanted to preserve the Asian, Asian culture within the household, which meant I could not speak English or practice it outside of the classroom. Um, I was a tomboy. I was uh, running around pretty much kicking kids um, and <laughs> and hanging out with all the other little boys. I remember at that stage, I was uh, trying to play sports, but really bad at it. Uh, trying to do tricks on my bike, yes, at eight, but could not. And uh, digging up worms. For some reason, I was digging up worms like in the neighborhood park with a group of boys and transferring the worms from one area of trees to like another less attractive level area of trees and i think our goal was to like replenish the soil in that second area that's really that's actually really advanced thinking for a group of eight-year-olds but yeah that was eight-year-old carolyn just like getting dirty uh hanging out with the boys because the girls thought i was gross and <laughs> trying to speak english properly that's crazy and like have you always because you're talking to me from toronto now um, is that where you've always lived or how many places have you lived? I have lived in Toronto pretty much my entire life. Uh, I moved around a lot though. So I moved around about 14, 16 times in Toronto, uh, before I really settled down. And I think that actually contributes to who I am today because I'm always the new girl. I always have a little like problem with imposter syndrome. Uh, and I always try to fit in, but kind of can't <laughs> but that makes me quirky yeah i think quirky people are the best kind of people like if i look at my my friend circle or the people that seem to gravitate towards me it's just like a bunch of very unique personality people and that's the best kind yeah like chase erwin yeah that absolutely. guy is weird as hell <laughs> <laughs> he's memorable and we love him for it <laughs> we love you chase never change my favorite part was when I asked him if he liked uh, donairs or pizza, and he's like, "What's a donair?" <laughs> I was like, "Shit!" Didn't even think that. Okay, what is a donair? You don't know what a donair is, what? dude. I had my first like all dressed baked potato when I was twenty one. What the hell is a donair? Okay, well, um, have you ever heard of a gyro or a gyro? I, or... See, I see the word gyro or a gyro or whatever. Uh, yeah. Like sprinkled throughout Toronto, but I've never, I don't think I've had one. Well, I think it's just like that, except in Alberta, we're mostly calling them donairs. And but this it... is why I am not in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, when you come for the uh, seminar that you're presenting at, you'll have to have a donair because like you're missing out. Will it fit my macros, Chris? Will it fit my macros? No, probably oh, not. Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> We will still make that workout. <laughs> yes. You'll just like maybe, yeah, you, you might have to sacrifice a, a meal or something. But Just don't tell Louie. Just yeah. don't tell Louie, my trainer. Yeah, totally. So what what was something that stood out to you about your like junior high, high school experience? Junior high school experience? Is that middle school or well, normal like high school? Junior high slash high school just between like, all those years oh the awkward adolescence age um what stood out in terms of my personal experience or other people because i like shit talking too i'm sorry 
I'm um, thinking like like what what do you remember? Because like I think back to to high school and I'm like I don't some things are just a blur and some things really I remember some things really clearly. I so during that stage I actually from what I recall I moved schools uh, each year. Holy so crap. I moved, yeah I moved in grade six I moved in grade seven and I believe I also moved in grade eight. And then I stayed in the same place from grade nine. So what I remember was lack of stability uh, in terms of my physical environment. And because of that lack of stability, I, um, I, I was given the opportunity and I'm trying to find silver linings to try out a few different personalities <laughs> at each school. So uh, that's what I remember is just basically trying to figure out uh, what works best for me. Um, I was a little shithead, to be quite honest with you, <laughs> during that stage. I think because I tried so hard to be cool and um, to not be picked on, because like even now, you, from what you remember at the fitness summit, I'm a small person. Uh, <laughs> and in high school, especially in middle school, I was even shorter. I had a late adulthood girl spurt, so I was very short. Um, yeah, trying on different personalities and being a little fucking shithead is what I remember. And everything else was a fucking blur. So now, knowing all that stuff, if you could give that version of you advice on, like, you go into new schools, you're meeting new people, like, what would that advice be? The advice would be treat people the way you want to be treated, as cheesy as that line is. Uh, that is something I had to learn the hard way after high school. Um, and just really using your core values as your compass on how you want to carry yourself in life and what type of jobs or hobbies or people you want to hang out with. Um, when you follow your core values and use that as your compass, it will never lead you astray because you won't do things that you don't want to do and uh, you won't act a way that you certainly wouldn't want to act. So less, there'll be less remorse. I agree. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, if you could identify your core values, what would they be? Mm, core values, uh, being kind. Uh, that's something that Alberto, the macro wizard and I were talking about, uh, being kind, trying to always pay it forward, uh, not, not expecting anything from other people, um, just, just doing things because you think it's the right thing to do, or if you think it will be helpful for them, um, being very genuine with yourself first and foremost and others, um, it really doesn't serve anyone any purpose if you lie to someone about how you feel about um, their project, their product, what they're wearing, who they are, how they're acting, because in the long run, you're going to pay for it. Like and then uh, treat yourself well, just take care of yourself. So <laughs> be self-aware. On the topic of being genuine, and you talked about how it can be really tough or, or difficult to do so. What has been the moment that was the toughest to be genuine to somebody? The toughest to be genuine with somebody. Um, it was when it was when Saul finally introduced me into the uh, the fitness realm, and I started making friends with trainers. And for some reason, now all my friends are trainers. By the way, it's kind of weird. Um, and they started coming to me for business advice, and I I was excited because. I was like, oh my God, people want to be my friends. But also I was trying to figure out how to give really good advice without pissing people off. So for a while I struggled to give honest feedback and honest advice because I was really worried about um, losing the friends or losing the connections I had. And that made me kind of step back and figure out if it was worth me jeopardizing my uh, code of ethics, AKA being genuine, being honest with my friends. And I, and I went, fuck it. Uh, in business and life, it probably does serve me better if, <laughs> if I just give them honest feedback and be as genuine as possible to uh, my brand, but also to, to my reputation as a person. So I started giving some really fucking harsh feedback to the point where now the running joke is that I'm like everyone's tiger mom, the tiger mom that nobody wanted. Uh, but you know what? It actually attracted more people to me. It took me to the fitness summit. Um, it's taking me to Edmonton and it's taking me on to uh, a bunch of podcasts, including yours. Yeah. <laughs> so 
what was the the most rewarding moment in which like you crossed that threshold where now you're giving that tough that tough feedback and you were like holy crap like that really paid off that i gave that person that feedback um it it was actually at examine so we we've been working on a lot of products in terms of like our project pipeline work we're, we're going to be launching a few products in the next year which is very exciting and um at one point or another i had to really um uh, put my foot down and give some honest feedback on one of our products which was um the erd so our ex- examine.com research digest and the feedback or the recommendation was we aren't doing as great as we should be with this product we're not serving our users the way we should be it's time to really assess what we're doing and audit everything and that's exactly what we did um it took us a fucking year a year by the way uh for me of speaking to strangers one on one is like a lifetime for someone who works remotely and can go on for like weeks without meeting people by the way um yeah it took me a year of like interviewing people doing surveys and telling my team no we cannot do this um this sucks and now it's paying off because we're actually addressing our subscribers pain points we're going to be um completely rehauling the product and making it so fucking amazing for our readers and that that is the ultimate payoff knowing that being honest added value for to other people's experience. I like that. That's a good a good example. And uh I was listening to your episode with uh Dean and Andrew on the Fitness Devil. And <laughs> oh, I, no. I liked how you were able to sort of assess people and like kind of figure out more about them before like diving in. So what's your process like for that? Like what do you have to do before you can like figure out what a person needs to fix? Oh man, it's it's a lot of uh it's a lot of social media stalking first and foremost. <laughs> um it's a lot of upfront conversations like for uh for TJ and I and even Louie and Garino and I uh, before I even start to dive into their actual work, it was like a week of nonstop talking for me to get a feel of um the way they think the way they approach their business, how they think about their clients and the way they work. So um, some people are more productive than others during the day. Uh, some people have um, more of a preference for like creative work, even trainers actually. Some trainers have a knack for creative work like Louie and other trainers have a knack for data like TJ. Um, and then afterwards it was basically like, okay, now that we've established this relationship or this bond, it's time for you to send me everything, including like any single freaking document you send your clients, any type of like template text message you send your clients, your websites, your social media, all of it. And I dive right into it head first and I look at everything and I try to spot trends that's usually my process that's crazy like that's that's got to be intimidating uh for people like Louie and uh TJ Mims like what are the things that made them feel um the most encouraged to to sort of dive into that process with you because it's like a vulnerable situation to like share the whole process I think um I think it was because of how I approached it, right? I I approached them with a lot of honesty, but I also I also emphasized on the opportunities <clears throat> and the benefits of uh, of actually being able to f- identify that squeaky wheel. And in order to optimize their business, they have to do that. Um, and that really broke away of a lot of the barriers and the resistance. Being able to establish that bond first created trust, right? And then starting to dive into the way they think and investing that time into figuring out their business gave me more credibility. It gave them um, an understanding of, of the fact and an appreciation of the fact that it would take work in order to improve their business. And then in order to motivate them even better, I would use like, I would provide context. Like you saw my, uh, my fitness summit comp, conference talk um every time i gave someone advice i use an example in order to provide context and that's what usually clicks with my friends and with my clients and even with my employees when you provide people context real life examples they start to grasp onto the benefits it's so true and i like how uh 
the whole concept of being genuine like would play into that so it's true like all the different schools that you moved to and having to really realize or learn what genuine was has contributed to how you find success in this realm <laughs> yes thankfully uh i'm not a shitty person at least i don't think so so <laughs> you're not you're not you're good people i was talking to dean guido yesterday i was like yeah i'm gonna have her on my podcast too and he was like hell yeah so <laughs> you got a lot of fans i love dean He's he, he, he loves the fact that i audit people and like i highlight people's like weaknesses he thinks is so funny <laughs> so i start doing that to him yeah he has that pain yet <laughs> it, it's like that's gotta sting a little bit but then you kind of move past that and it's like this is for my own good this is for my own good don't mind all the highlighters we're gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you know what the fact that i like highlight their weaknesses and their pain points um actually shows people like louie and tj that i care right yeah. it shows them that i'm not there to benefit from them i'm not there to be like yes 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 give me money give me money by the way, I'm doing this both for them pro bono as like my case studies. Um, I'm do I'm giving them honest feedback literally and only because I want them to improve and I want them to crush it. Well, it's, it's little things like that that make people like me want to see you succeed because there, <laughs> there is so much people that are out there that are like, oh yeah, like I, I have this uh, pre-structured what you're doing wrong and then I'm going to charge you money. And then see you later. I got your money now. Bye-bye. No, man. Yeah. The, the My approach to what I do is exactly the approach uh, that successful personal trainers take with their clients, which is you don't go in with this preconceived notion that your client wants to like look X way or like work out like this type of person and they wake up at this X hour of time. You go in literally with no expectations and you say, okay, what do you want? What do you hate? What can you do? What, like, what is your like capacity? What is your tolerance like? And then you take it from there. You Absolutely. personalize every single step. Yeah. Like some of the most simplest advice is if your client just wants to do bicep curls all day, you're just going to do bicep curls all day. Like if that's what they want, like, honestly, then that's what you do. Yeah. I just told Louie, I don't fucking like uh, doing one exercise at a time and waiting like two minutes in between. I have to do supersets or I will lose my goddamn mind. And you know what he said? Yep. Let's let's change your program up and get you doing supersets. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. He's the best. Yeah. Personalizing your experience. Yeah. So with giving feedback, what's the toughest feedback that you have received? The toughest feedback I have received. Like in your own career development? Because everybody's got uh, somebody kind of watching. Yes, yes. Um, so this is advice that Saul gave me. And I think a few of my other friends actually gave me around the same time, which is so um, for all those who didn't hear me in uh, the last Fitness Devil podcast episode, uh, I have grown up and still do have an anxiety disorder. And my anxiety disorder was a lot more severe a few years ago. And I remember like Saul taking me aside and pretty much saying like, I understand, but also you need to learn how to move past things. And that's what I spent a lot of years working on afterwards and a lot of time working on, which is figuring out how to get unstuck, figuring out how to uh, control my anxiety and control my internal dialogue in order to just fix problems, get shit done, and not like sit in a dark corner rocking back and forth and going, what if, what if, or like, oh fuck, oh fuck. Yeah. That was really hard for someone with anxiety to to hear their boss say like, your anxiety is getting in the way. Um, you, you need to focus more on yourself. It, it was hard, but it was really, really necessary. Well, and it's tough because sometimes situations like that, we can sort of feel like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But like, there's little, little tiny steps. You can always be like 1% better or just improve on it just a tiny bit. Yeah, you can't, We like, I'm speaking for myself, but I always tell my closest friends who do have uh, anxiety like I do, I'm like, you, you, you can't use your anxiety as a crutch because if you constantly say, hey, uh, I can't get past this because I have an anxiety disorder. What's going to happen is that you've used that already as an excuse and you're never going to get better. 
I like that. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So in your own journey, in your own experience, what's what are the most helpful things for you in sort of like being better or like moving past faster? Mm, I would say um, making sure that I take time for myself to think things through. So if there is some type of conflict, um, the anxious Carolyn would either break down in the past or dive right into the conflict immediately trying to fix things. Um, now what I do is if I don't know what to do immediately, especially if my solution, and I know what my solution is not that great, isn't great, um, I make sure I take a step back, I assess the situation, I figure out exactly what actually is wrong because sometimes the root problem is not what you think it is. And then and then I dive right in. That's a great way for me to uh, calm myself down to. Being able to reflect and assess gives you this peaceful period where you are no longer internalizing this like dialogue of fuck, 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 but you're actually going, hmm, I wonder what the problem really is. And then you jump to, how can I solve it? And then you try, you try to solve it. I like that kind of breaking it down into small pieces instead of this big giant volcano of madness. Yeah, when you break down uh, anything, uh, even like your to-do list into much smaller manageable tasks, you're more likely to get shit done and you're more likely to actually achieve it, achieve all those goals, achieve the bigger goals. Yeah. So in the early days of your career, it started with like PR um what was your plan going out of high school was it always just to go into that field or did you do other things other small jobs um so funny enough my original uh my original plan was to be a trainer Nice. Uh, <laughs> i actually like i actually jumped into a kinesiology and english program and then i realized that uh i don't want to do that especially when we start doing the fitness assessments and like playing with calipers and Oh my God, anatomy. I'm not really good with anatomy. Uh, so it it took me a while to figure out what my strengths were. And I think despite the fact that uh, I thought of myself as socially awkward, and I kind of am, still am, um, I, I think I had a strength and that strength was um, being able to read people, being able to listen to people and kind of dig into what they like and what they don't like. So the only other industry that really resonated with me and the strengths that I knew I had was PR because it was communications. It was storytelling. And um, yeah, that's how my career trajectory took a turn. That's awesome. So it was your first PR job. Uh, so my first PR job, um, it was simultaneous because like when I went to PR school, I actually had a part time job and two internships. So my part time job had nothing to do with PR. But my two internships, one was in tech startup and one was for fashion. <laughs> so I was going to media events um, as a, not even for PR, as a, a writer, actually, a beauty writer. And and I was going to like media events and fashion week. And the reason why I did that was because my, my uh, reasoning was if I want to work in PR, pitching journalists, and writers, I should actually try to work as a writer to see what writers look for when they're looking at pitches in order to optimize my response rate. And then my other internship was actually in PR and it was in tech. It was in tech startup and tech wearables, which is completely different from fashion, but I wanted more variety. Um, And working in PR and tech startup was, oh man, seven years ago that was when indiegogo and kickstarter became like really popular it was a freaking whirlwind of an experience is all i can say it forced me to learn a lot of skills that are uh make me very valuable today aka like graphic design uh copywriting um oh my god media pitching coordinating projects it was great so if somebody started a startup like in the next year and like it could be tech industry it could be fashion industry anything what would your advice be to them going into it knowing that you know how to make shit work um it it literally would be try to gather as many resources as possible to hire people to do shit that you're not good at 
because the moment you start thinking that you can let's say do graphic design or do your own marketing even though you are let's say a software engineer uh that will be a problem because then you are going to experience this thing called hubris or actually let's just break it down your ego is going to get in the way and that ego is definitely there if you think you can do it all um and and what they'll do is that it will distract you from what you do well aka developing the software and it would also result in low quality work for your marketing and people will see right through it. You need to need to need to hire and delegate tasks to other people, to other experts. Yeah, I like that way of thinking. And like for myself, I can tell tons of times when like my ego has gotten in the way where I probably held myself back because I didn't like outsource something, even if it was just to like consult with somebody. But yeah. I want to know of a time when you experienced that, like, because you're good at a lot of things, but there has to have been something where you were like, oh, I can totally do that. And then you learned afterwards that you should have outsourced it. Um, copy editing. So I am, I'm very good uh, with language, but I'm not a really good copy editor. Um, I, I'm actually a little sloppy. <laughs> copy editing and I tried I tried my hand at it both in media writing and at in the early early stages of examine uh just because I was like oh my god like we're bootstrapping and we also have very little time so I can do this I can totally do this and then a few years later when we finally hired our amazing copy editor PA uh French dude who now lives in Taiwan by the way um and he started like going through our old stuff he was like Carolyn this isn't that great. I'm like, yeah, fuck. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I should have I should have bit the bullet and like hired at least a junior copy editor to like work on that. But it's sort of a cool lesson to walk away from because then you know going forward like if you can sort of like leverage your strengths and be empowered by others and their strengths, then you'll move forward. Even if it feels like you're kind of taking a step back by involving other people in like your project you still you still get ahead and other people get elevated in the process too yeah absolutely especially if you already have a team why not why not teach them how to do x y and z especially if they have the potential to be much better than you at it um and why not use the skills they already have to help you it will save you so much time and it will save you so much stress like so much mental energy because like imagine if like so tj i just helped him with his presentation slides last night i worked until 3 a.m working on them actually um <laughs> if he was to try to learn to use adobe the way i use adobe that would suck up instead of three hours that I spent like three, three weeks, it would take him three weeks to do what I did. And that is time he could use uh, to train his clients to get more leads to create content for his website. So think about it as like, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to learn this new skill? If you're not willing to sacrifice it, if it's going to hurt your business long term, probably need to delegate. It's so true. It's so true. I want to talk about the topic of travel because I'm curious. Like, have you traveled lots of places? Uh, what What's your, your favorite place you've gone to? And if it's not, if you haven't gone lots of places around the world, then just pick like your favorite place to escape to. Oh, I, I travel quite a bit. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Um, I've, I, I love traveling. And if, uh, if it wasn't for like my workload and my dogs, my dogs keep me rooted now. Um, I would be traveling much more similarly to Alberto, who like goes to one country every month, or Stephanie Lee, who does who did the same thing for two years. Um, my favorite place, um, hmm, it would actually be between Vietnam, Hanoi, and uh, Berlin. Um, for for pretty much the same reasons, even though they seem like such different <laughs> different places, um, it was they both had very peaceful like this peaceful atmosphere to the, both cities. Everything moved a little bit more casually, which I love. People genuinely genuinely wanted to get to know you, even strangers. Like in Hanoi, like my waitress would like after serving me, she would just like be like, "Can I sit down and like talk to you?" I'm like, "Sure." And she would just like 
have a full-on conversation about life with me and same with berlin people are more willing to like just sit there and chill out with you talk talk to you while they're smoking a cigarette or like if they're sitting across from the restaurant with you uh from you they'll be more likely to say hi other cities that i've been to not as not as common i i like people as much as i say i hate people i say that really joking like in jest i fucking love people and hanoi and berlin are filled with people who love people so it's great it's really great um also just the pace of life the pace is much slower in hanoi and berlin which i really like because i live in toronto and toronto very much uh has this the same stereotype as like new york we're like the new york of canada i think would would you say yeah as someone from uh, Edmonton (laughs) Um, everything is very fast paced people don't really take time to know each other people don't even say hi to each other so I really appreciate that so what do you think that makes these places stand out for being like so genuine it really is the fact that people slow down and really want to say hi to you I think I think as someone as a person who really values um the privilege to get to know someone beyond their brand and beyond stereotypes and beyond first impressions. Um, I really, I really enjoy that. I enjoy being able to sit down with someone and getting to know um, them from like first meeting to like, oh my God, you did what in the seventies? Uh, <laughs> whereas in Toronto, you don't really get that luxury. Um, I'm a little bit more fortunate because I've, I've managed to like wiggle my way into a lot of my neighbors' homes and social circles. Um, But with other people, um, that's not something you get out of Toronto. When you said that, I just kind of visualized they they have the door like cracked open. You're like, let me in, like literally wiggling your way. Two neighbors, that's actually kind of how it happened. My dog accidentally broke into one of my neighbors' place because they had left their door kind of ajar while they were cooking. And I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> and the second neighbor, like, I I accidentally broke into her condo. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Nice. I thought it was my apartment. Yeah. And my key, for some reason, uh, I guess I brute forced my way into her apartment with my own key. Holy But God. now we're really good friends. And she she's like this old Chinese lady who makes me dumplings now from scratch. That's perfect. You should break yeah. into more people's apartments. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, Edmonton. Edmonton, you are you are not prepared for Carolyn Tran McDonald. <laughs> oh no, lock your doors, hide your kids. She's coming. <laughs> so, um on the topic of dogs, what are your yeah. favorite things about your dogs? My favorite things about my dogs. Um, so I have two dogs. I have a Shih Tzu named Xander. She's eight pounds. Um, I I love her completely. But the thing I love most about her is that she has this like curmudgeonly look. She looks like a really a cross between an Ewok and a really pissed off old man. And it's <laughs> amazing, especially when her her snarl starts to show. It is the best thing in the world when I'm pissed off or when I'm tired and I see that little asshole snarl at me. I'm like, fucking great. You are the best. <laughs> like, it's just her face. That is that is what I love most about her. She's so fucking grumpy. She's like a cat. Um, and then Bella, the thing I love most about my dog, Bella, who is a poodle schnauzer, is that um, she really, really loves being around me, but not in a clingy way she just likes she just likes being in the same room with me and it, it kind of calms me and soothes me uh, but also makes me feel less lonely especially because i've been working from home since like since i pretty much uh was 20. um it, it's really nice to have a presence a very soothing presence around you yeah or that ewok that just looks pissed off all the time <laughs> dog man i don't know what's wrong like she loves her life i know she's really happy because like her tail is always wagging but her goddamn face she's such a pissed off little ewok (laughs) that's awesome um so i have this like theory that i've been like telling more and more people about and i have a feeling that if i just keep telling more and more people it'll happen somebody's gonna fund it it's basically if you put dogs in a gym and you go to lift I feel like the likelihood 
of achieving a personal best is higher because of the presence of the dog. Yeah. Yes. 100%. So. Yes. I'm going (laughs) to love that. (laughs) So far, I've talked to Dean Somerset. He's come on the podcast and I brought it up to him. And he was like, yeah, we're going to, you'd have to do like an isolated study on it. And then I talked to Chase about it and he was like, I want to be there. I'll fly up. I'll, I'll be there with the dogs and I'll just watch this happen. I will supply my dogs. I will bring my dogs. <laughs> so what would be the scenario to which this would be like the least dysfunctional? Cause like if I perform the study, there'd be some flaw to it. So I just want to hear your opinion on how you would set up a study with dogs and, and weights and all that stuff. Oh man. I don't know, man. Like you really put me on the spot. I wish, I wish I had more time to think about it. <laughs> you um, can do this. Uh, okay. Theoretically speaking, if we had open a gym, uh, that, that involved dogs and, and like full on strength training, not like, not like riding on a bicycle or walking on a treadmill all day, like, Strength training. Yeah. Um, well, for the dog safety, <laughs> I would I would have them in one area of the gym where there are no weights, and then we can use that as like uh, as like reward system. So like you instead of taking like rest where you're on the bench like playing on your goddamn phone, you walk over and you hang out with those dogs for the two three minutes between like each set. There you go. Yeah. Done. Do you, do you know how great that would be? Like, first of all, people would be more likely, and I mean clients, will be more likely to show up for their training sessions because we both know they forget or they, or they like, cancel last minute. Yeah. Because they get to see the goddamn dogs. And do you know what dogs are good for? Stress relief. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but also being able to uh, – being able to like hang out with the dog between your sets will make your clients or like make people who are training who are more likely to just rush through their rest. And by the way, that fucks with your with your end results and with your overall performance if you don't rest properly. Thank you, James Krieger. Uh, they will spend that entire two, three minutes preoccupied with that dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of leaves them at that sense of like their baseline there. They're at ease. They're not like high strung. <laughs> They're more likely to have like a calm central nervous system that makes their lift a lot more effective. Yes, 100%. And you know what? The dogs, they actually would help in this situation. Completely agree. Yeah. Next question is because at Evolve where like Andrew and I run our businesses out of, we welcome dogs. So we get to see dogs in the gym all the time, which is awesome. And then there's also, sometimes there's dogs and babies. And like, I have clients that just like, I have to be like, okay, okay, we got to get back to work. We got to focus. Cause like she's trying to do her pull-ups and there's a dog to her left and a baby to her right. And she's like, which one do I, which one do I look at? Like, this is freaking awesome. Now, which, if you had to choose one to be in the gym, like a gym full of something, and, and the babies aren't crying and the dogs aren't annoying, they're both well-behaved, very good doggos and very good babies, which would you prefer? Gym dogs. full of babies? Or dogs. Dogs. Whoa, dogs. that was fast. 100% dogs. Is it because they're so fluffy I'm going to die? They're so fluffy I'm going to die, but also dogs are very independent, right? Aside from you have to feed them. They can walk around. They know to stay away from danger. Um, they're not very verbal. They're not going to get in your way for the most part. And they'll just be there to cheer you on. Babies, you need to make sure they're safe. <laughs> Most of them will either crawl everywhere or like just like lean over and fall, which is terrifying, especially in a gym. Uh, but also like I, uh, this sounds really mean, but especially as a woman, um, I love 95% of all the dogs I've seen so far. I only have loved like 10% of the babies I've seen. (laughs) So it's a personal preference. I'm terrified of babies. I think people can find a way to see the lighter side of of that. Like they can be like, well, she just hasn't connected with those other 90% of the babies or something like that. Babies scare me so much because I'm like, oh my god, you're gonna get hurt. Oh my god, oh my god, what do you want? Oh my god, are you are are you okay right now? Like they bring out that anxious little monster that I've tried to suppress, like i.e. 
my anxiety disorder. <laughs> She's like, oh, you want some milk? Like, I got some Asian oh, milk? Oh, oh <laughs> my God. Some Asian soy milk? Um, actually, full circle. Do you, do you remember that uh, that thing I told you about breaking into my neighbor's house at, like, oh, that sweet old lady's house? Yeah. It was because I was babysitting my friend's four-month-old son, and he had woken up from his nap, and he was crying, and I was in the hallway of my apartment, like, going, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do you want? Are you okay? Like, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I walked past my apartment right to my neighbor's apartment, just right beside me. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And like, because I was so scared and worried and didn't know what to do, I didn't pay attention to the number on the door. And I brute forced my way into her apartment. Superman strength. I was blinded by my anxiety and developed Superman strength. I should say superwoman strength, but that's superwoman strength, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I developed a level of strength and capacity that I did not know I had. That's cool. Have you found a way to harness that in the gym? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. I mean, I, so I'm weak. (laughs) I didn't know how to dance around that, but I'm like, Carolyn, be genuine, be honest with yourself, be honest with Chris. No, I'm pretty weak. I'm still pretty weak. Um, I've only recently transferred uh, from a cardio based program to like full-on strength training like uh i used to run like 50 60 kilometers a week yeah yeah and then strength training but now i'm like doing full-on strength training and it's it's really humbling because i'm like i thought i was strong but I, I'm, I'm weak well, i wish i could harness that power but i'll i'll get up to it i'll build it up something that makes a huge difference and like i'm i'm a little bit of a of a hippie style like mindset uh, motivation style trainer But like the language of weak, like, you know how you're trying to assess a person's business and you're trying to uh, leverage their strengths. And if a person just like shot themselves down on all of the qualities of their business and they didn't have anything that stood out, it's probably they're less inclined to to see success. And so Mm. for myself, from a trainer's perspective, if my client comes in and they're like, I have a weak core. I'm going to like put a put a stop to that. Like that's dialogue that they're just not allowed to use. Because yeah. I've just experienced so many times firsthand when like I describe myself as like I'm not good at talking to people or I I am weaker than and all the this language. Yeah. Like, it sets you up mentally to to fail. So, so- so here, I'm going to interrupt you. Uh, I totally agree. And that's why I don't use that language with other people. But when it comes to me, I use the word weak because um, I come from a very, I don't, I don't want to dive into my background, but I developed this fuck you mentality. It was all or nothing. And the moment someone tells me I cannot do something or someone, even myself, uh, when says like this area of your life or this area of your skill set is weak, I go, fuck you. And then... I prove them wrong. So me telling myself that I'm weak pretty much guarantees I'm going to get really fucking strong. Like I went from like, uh, so sadly dumbbell rowing, like eight pounds to 10 pounds. Uh, and within like a month I was already up to 30 pounds. So I'm pretty happy. That's it's good. A, yeah. Never use that language with anyone else. But for me, definitely. I dare you to come up and challenge me and say, Carolyn, you're fucking weak. And I'll be like, mm, give me a month. Give me two months. I will destroy you, Tico. I will destroy you, Tico. (laughs) I think that the thing that stands out or differentiates your association with that word is that you get shit done. Yeah, I like challenge. You're probably often reflecting on the fact that you can be faced with a challenge. You can be faced with like somebody that has like their their squeaky wheel. You're dealing with squeaky wheels all the time, but you can get shit done. Like you can flip that stuff. And yes. so for you, that's effective. And that's probably something that you have to reflect on often, like your, your bad days. I'm sure you've had a day when it's like, holy crap, like, how am I going to spin all these things? And you're like, hell yeah, I can do this. I get shit done. Yes. What's been a time that it's been the toughest to really like, remember that when you were like, I don't know if I get shit done. It actually happens much more often than a lot of people know. I think you know in particular because I actually message you. <laughs> uh, especially, it's weird because like you and I have only really met like a month ago, but I've really connected with you and Andrew. Yeah. Um, 
it, it happens like once once every quarter, uh, recently more often. So every time I experience a lot of success, ironically enough, is when I start to go, holy shit, can I do this? Can I actually get shit done? And the reason why is because I, I, I actually have imposter syndrome, guys. My name is Carolyn. I, I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's both a good and a bad thing. Um, the, the negative side is like you kind of kick yourself down and you doubt yourself, right? But the, the good thing about it is that uh, it provides you with some self-awareness because uh, I, I like to look at the, the brighter side of things. If you have imposter syndrome, if you have self-doubt, it means that you're, you're probably self-aware, right? And if you're self-aware, then what you will do is that you will identify your own squeaky wheel and then you will try to fix it. Like, for example, at the fitness summit, um, when I finally got the, Hey, Carolyn, uh, do you want to present at the fitness summit? Like this presentation topic is fine. I started to experience that self doubt. And I was like, I don't know if I can get this shit done. Like, I don't know if I can offer value. And because I was able to think about that, I transitioned that thought process into shit. Okay. Well, how do I, how do I offer more value? And I put in a lot of, uh, a lot of time into developing the content that I presented at the fitness summit and it paid off, Absolutely. but it was really hard to remind myself. Like I, I was panicking up until like two minutes before my presentation, I was doing sprints outside of the building. <laughs> yeah. That's I awesome. <laughs> well, like, you presented with ease like there's no question everybody was yep good presentation like (laughs) got a lot out of this so it's it's funny people can seem calm and collected and they have it all together but i guarantee you every single like professional people with like huge reputation that you gave a shout out to in this episode or that you could possibly think of is going to be dealing with those little demons like they're going to doubt themselves and it's just Either we weren't there to see it or they hide it really well, but everybody, doesn't matter how successful they are, has it. So don't ever think that it's just you. And like, that's something that I've had to learn myself is if I'm ever like, oh man, like I'm the only one who's hard on himself. It's like everybody is hard on themselves, especially in like the, the more growth you see in a person, the harder they've been on themselves. And it's just a matter of like that self-awareness that you talked about. Like the more self-aware we are, the better equipped we are to handle our shit. 100%. 100%. Being self-aware allows you to handle your shit, but also allows you to be grateful for what you already have. So what's your favorite way to be more self-aware? Do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Um, I, I read more books than listen to podcasts just because, um, I, I work so much and I am always in front of the tables, uh, like the computer or like the desktop, um, and my phone that I like to read physical books when I possibly can. It yeah. just forces me to unplug. Um, I read a lot of, on, uh, philosophy and stoicism. Did I say it properly? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, Books like Ryan Holiday's Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way, um, or even Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, or uh, Hamza Khan's uh, The Burnout Gamble. Um, those are the type of books I gravitate towards. I don't really gravitate towards fitness or marketing books or even fiction uh, because philosophy and the quotes that Ryan Holiday includes in his books and breaks down, by the way, helps me think a lot more about the world as a whole, but it also forces me to think about how I interact with people and why people do or say the things they, they really do. The motivations, it, it forces me to not be shallow with my communication. Yeah. I like those kind of books too. Like I, I don't really read fiction. If, if I'm looking for fiction, I turn on the TV yeah and, uh, i don't i don't like the the marketing per se i i want to sort of understand how how people operate or understand how i can improve how i understand how people operate to be to be on their level and to really connect as much as possible there's something that i like to refer to as a big hairy audacious goal and that's something that i just stole from lululemon like they i went to like a uh, <laughs> vision and goals thing and they're like what's your big hairy audacious goal and it was like right after I uh, quit my old job. And I was like, well, 
I, uh, I, I quit my job that I've had for like five plus years and I'm just going to find a job as a trainer. So like I was unemployed for a bit and they're like, oh shit. And that, that was it. But I want to know what is your big, hairy, audacious goal for maybe the near future, far future, whatever it is. Um, so I, I have a big, audacious, hairy goal. Uh, I just, I've, and I've had it for like a year now. I just don't know how to put it succinctly into words. And Dean and Andrew can vouch for me. I like being succinct, but sometimes I'm not, I, I'm not, <laughs> um, it is to be um, the fitness industry's secret, not so secret weapon, right? I, I want like to that. be the person that uh, people will immediately go to if they have any questions or need any help with scaling or branding or even just uh, grounding themselves. Um, I, I want to be that go-to person. And it's not because of ego. It actually is because my goal in life is to be and offer as much value as possible. And if I can be that secret weapon, it, it speaks volumes in the value that I've been able to add to other people's lives. Because what's what's better, right? Giving someone $5 or $10, which I do, I donate to charity, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, helping them build a successful business that will carry them for the rest of their lives. And it's so true. And like, based on sort of you you see a person and you're like I can judge this person's character and for you to say that and for me what I know of you and like my conversations with other people when your name comes up like it's very transparent you're looking to elevate the people around you so you can just be surrounded by a lot of badass people yeah and that's the best way to be like that's the kind of <laughs> trainer that you want to be surrounded by that's the kind of human you want to be surrounded by it's it's freaking awesome yeah you can only be three type of people in life right you can be the type of person who sucks energy you can be the type of person who stays in the background or you can be the type of person who gives energy i don't want to stay in the background but there's nothing wrong with that i don't want to suck energy because that's actually fucking terrible yeah but that means i'm only left with one thing and it's giving people energy. And I love that because when you give people energy, they start to shine. You can see it in the, their demeanor. You can see it in the way they carry their businesses and you can see it, especially in the way they treat other people. So yeah. if you're nice to people, they become nice and they're nice to other people and they become nice. Moving forward. Have this big <laughs> like entourage of just nice people everywhere. Just like my ex-boyfriend said, sorry, Cameron. Um, it's nice to be nice. It is. It's very nice to be nice. <laughs> what a quote! It's a thank you, fellow, uh, fellow Irish. I'm not even Irish. Thank you to that Irish, like, backpacker that I met ten years ago. It's nice to be nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Just, just the random, random anecdote from from the past. So, with you wanting to be the not so secret secret weapon. I don't, th I don't think that's going to quite work out for you. I think people are probably going to be shouting your name from the rooftops. Like you're going to be on a few more podcasts. I'm sure of it. You'll probably make <laughs> return visits to other podcasts after like six months of like out there trying the new things, developing your craft, speaking at different events. Like I, I can see a lot of success in your future, but the right kind of success. And I could see it as like, all your trainer friends are going to be like walking up to their career and be like, say hello to my little friend. And then they'll point <laughs> to their side over to you and you'll just make people's businesses more effective and it'll be freaking badass and awesome. I hope you're right. That is like, that is my big hairy audacious goal, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I am right. At this point, I always ask each of my guests the mm -hmm. same question. And I like to gather all the answers together because it just sounds cool. So if you had one piece of advice to give to somebody on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way possible, what would that piece of advice be? How to live your life as authentically as possible. This sounds like a Instagram post quote. <laughs> but also like to the fullest. So you want to like feel like full heart, but also being yourself. Remembering that if you settle and if you lie to yourself and others, it will cause 
you to walk down a vicious cycle of remorse. And that's what you need to remember. The moment you lie to yourself about what you want and how you want to lead your life and your limitations, aka you don't actually have many limitations, you start to set yourself back. And the longer you continue to lie to yourself or other people, the, the more remorse you will start to compile over the months, over the years, over the decades. And that's all I can say about that. <laughs> Boom. That was awesome. So I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> we, we will wrap up the podcast and maybe shoot the shit for a couple minutes after here. All right, so thank you for listening to episode 50 of The Lifestyle Chase. And it's crazy to think I started this podcast in September of 2018, and we're already at 50 episodes. It was just kind of a a challenge to myself. I just wanted to uh, get through 52 before like the, the full year was up because it just seemed like a cool challenge. 52 weeks in the year, I thought if I can get through more podcasts than that within the year, then I'm laughing. And the amount of personal growth that I have experienced by being a host of this podcast has been substantial. It's made me just a better human. So I can't thank you enough for for all the guests that have partaken. I've had people that have been heroes to me as a kid. I've had people who are like staples to my day-to-day. You're, you're going to find a lot of my very favorite people as guests on the podcast and a lot of people that have just sort of whether it's been through direct dialogue or just me watching how they live out their lives they've they've taught me a lot and made me a better person so at the very least i hope that they can make you also a better person because that's i want a world where people are less inclined to be jerks i just want a world where people feel like being okay or being being themselves is okay like you can you can have quirks and you can be a little different and you can have dreams and passions and you can want kids or you can like dogs or you can really like deadlifts and and that's okay and you don't have to be like anybody else and you can be successful by being yourself and that's what i advocate for so if you enjoyed this podcast i always always highly encourage to listen to one that you haven't heard of the person before, just to kind of see what you could possibly learn, because there's always something, so much value in learning about other people. And if you would like to support me, which I always appreciate, please rate The Lifestyle Chase on iTunes, or leave a comment, or slide into my DMs and say, hey, what's up, and tell me what you liked about the episode. Thank you for listening. I really value all the time that you put into this.